Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Thank you to Consensus for, as, as a member of Consensus, you can think of this as sponsored by Consensus. Uh, I am here with Jan Izakovich from CoFoundIt here in the in the lovely green, although somewhat rainy today, offices of Ljubljana, which I have pronounced mispronounced my entire stay here, and I've tried to avoid it. Um, Hi, everybody, and good job on the pronunciation, Evan. A couple of more visits and we'll make a Slovenian out of you yet. <laughs> that might be my best, best pronunciation yet. So Jan, I guess tell us, start off by telling us how CoFoundIt started. Well, I can tell how it started for me. Uh, a little more than a year ago, I just got over the fact that my previous startup failed. I was getting towards a better place in life. I knew that I... I'm extremely unhappy with the way that startup funding works, at least in Europe. I have spent my past two, three years constantly trying to woo investors to persuade them to invest in our startup. We managed to invest a small round, but it was just not enough for us to even put a kind of working MVP on the market. So we were constantly looking for more money, trying to find a way to cut costs. So we raised something like $200,000 and we turned that into 18 months of runway. So you can imagine that. And for a team of four, it was quite, we cut it quite close to the bone. My salary for the past six months was around $500 monthly. I just, and you were in London for that. Uh, I was in London for most of that, so I used the company's funds not from my paycheck, but to pay for the flights, to pay for our Airbnb, to pay for the tube, to meet investors, to meet potential clients, just pouring everything I could into the into my startup. And it London fa- is not cheap. <laughs> I can't even London imagine London <laughs> is not cheap, and it's not a cool place to live anyway. London is about people there working, having a beer after, and then everybody... They go off to their 30 to 60 minutes journey by train to where they actually live. So it's great to be a tourist, but it really sucks to live in London. Hmm. So I was not jaded with or unhappy with the fact that I was in a startup. What I regretted was all of the time wasted on VCs, on investors, instead of focusing on our customers and on our market, right? Because in a startup, you have a small team and every hour that you spend doing task A is an hour that you cannot spend doing any other tasks. So that is that the big regret that I had was that I felt that I have wasted at least half of my time during, during that startup. So, of course, typically what happens after one comes out of startup, you go to work for a large company because startup is all about being insecure. So you seek safety and security in a larger company. A couple of weeks in of my safe and secure large company job, I got bored as hell. And I started investigating different stuff that I could do in addition to the job. I was thinking of doing workshops about B2B lean uh, startup, what it means to do it in B2B. And this was the time when I had, uh, I sat down for a cup of coffee first with Zainal Batagil, who is one of the founders also of, um, of Covandit. Um, and we sat down and he was, he told me that, yeah, I'm now part of the economy team. We're raising money. I actually have heard about that because I knew one of the founders of economy from years back. This is Slovenia where everybody knows everybody in the startup ecosystem. So we sat down, I congratulated him. I think that at that point they raised something like $4 million. Everybody was very happy. And he said, yeah, so 
we are now that we are going through this, we have seen that having an ICO or a token crowd sale is actually not as easy as it sounds. There are processes that work and some that don't work. There is the technology that one must develop. And the team behind the economy was actually working hard on working both on the process and on the technology. So he said that they have a feeling that there could be a service here to help other companies do their ICO. And I said, what's an ICO? <laughs> so at that time, I my only kind of really in-depth knowledge of blockchain was I knew about Bitcoin. I did not know about Ethereum. But most of the information I got was from the mass media, which in retrospect should be, have been obvious that the information is far from complete, right? Because everything that you see in the mass media is either if you had invested $100 in Bitcoin X years ago, you would now have X million or the other two weeks later, Bitcoin is crashing. Therefore, everybody who invested in Bitcoin is an idiot, right? Very shallow reporting. Yeah. So I did investigate Bitcoin and blockchain solutions earlier. I like the mathematical kind of foundations, but it seemed something that does not really affect my world because my world for the past 10, 15 years, it was the world of entrepreneurship, of innovation, of startups, of funding, and there was just not enough of a connection there. And that's where the ICO comes in, right? Because the token crowd sale is exactly that. So this is the application of the blockchain technology, of the services that can be built on the blockchain technology to the startup space. Uh, and so from there, I was totally hooked. I quit my job after three weeks. Wow. Dedication. Risk. Well, you have to know where, when a great chance comes by. And there was no way that I was passing this by because this seemed like the perfect answer for every struggling entrepreneur, entrepreneur like I was to give them a chance that if there is some foundation to their product, if they can get some early traction that this can help connect them to supporters, and to give them not just the funding that they need, so not $100,000, but a million or more, but more importantly, also connect them to evangelists, early adopters, people who will be speaking about the company and their service to the others, right? So, and this is the thing that I realized that immediately made me love this space. If you're, if you have a successful crowd sale, you get your initial user community built in. If you're a startup and raise the same amount of money, you are at square one. You have to go and spread the word about your product, about your service to person A, to person B, to person C. So in terms of efficient resources, all the time that you spend raising was lost in terms of connecting to the market, right? Whereas in the token crowdfunding space, you get both of it at once. And that's what I fell in love with. So, so how did your wife, Alia, feel about about this did she did she see it right away as well or did you is that a conversation that you also had to well i think that for everybody who is new to the blockchain space and is riding that first wave of enthusiasm you do not stop talking about the blockchain but you sound a little crazy <laughs> you sound a little crazy yeah so then your friends colleagues acquaintances and family members they can divide into two groups the ones that start to see what you're talking about and the ones that think that you're crazy and stop opening the door for you or answering your phone, right? So yes, of course, I spoke about this to everybody. And to be honest, I still do. So it was not, not just the first week or two weeks, but I have spent a lot of my time since that uh, coffee in late August or early September last year talking to people like you. Right. And others like you, like us, like our other advisors, some other engaged supporters, because um, we all see the potential future. So what now to come back to your question, um, I did not say much at that time. She said, yes, that's interesting. But she had her hands full with her what she was doing. So she just left the start of that she was working for and started doing her Ph.D. in computer science. So that was her world back then. Hmm. And she was studying here? Yeah, she was studying here at the University of Ljubljana at Faculty of, for Computer Science. Um, so I guess that's a, a good point for us to go back and talk about more of your background. Um, I guess, you know, we started it once you heard about, heard about this space. Um, I guess tell us more about how you got to that point from 
you know, from being born into the former Yugoslavia and <laughs> long story there, I know, but yes. So, and it's really interesting that you say this. Uh, so yeah, I was, I live in Slovenia, which used to be part of Yugoslavia, the socialist bloc. And to give you an example, uh, when a store would get bananas in store, there would be queues throughout the door on you on some days or weeks or months you could not buy for example new jeans or on some days you could so if you lived in socialism you had to kind of plan your life around the availability of basic goods which was quite an interesting description one who said it was a simpler time but it was a time of um, where a lot of your life was defined for you uh, so when the um, the capitalism uh, capitalist system came to here i think that for most of eastern europe we don't really know what to do with it because it's not it's not like flipping a switch um, the all of the systems the ecosystem has to develop everything that is taken for granted in countries with a strong and constant tradition of capitalism all of the not just rules but perhaps unsaid rules or expectations everything in if somebody's coming a new to this a country is coming a new to this everything must evolve so for Slovenia and the whole of Eastern Europe, not only did capitalism have to evolve, but then after that, the VC ecosystem had to evolve. And I would actually say that the VC ecosystem in Europe has not finished evolving yet. That's why we see that most good startups go to the US as quick as they can to raise money from the US VCs. And that's traditionally been the case, but it's, you know, it's, of course, blockchain and you are playing a part of that, but that's increasingly not the case. Um, and, and blockchain people are staying where they are and sometimes building distributed teams. Um, Absolutely. And we, so Slovenia is a tiny, tiny country where there is two million of us. Our capital, Ljubljana, which is how you pronounce it, <laughs> has 250,000 inhabitants. So it's almost microscopic when you compare it to some of the large, um, capitals of other countries and traditionally for smaller countries brain drain is a big problem if you want a good job or a great job it's almost a given that you have to move abroad like i had to move to london so with the global reach of the kind of blockchain funded startups yes it's very possible to start building a global team from anywhere so co-founded is doing it from slovenia with extensions to sweden and some other countries um and but it can be done from Zimbabwe, from Rwanda, from the Belarus, from basically a tiny island in the middle of an ocean. If you have the internet, you can be part of this change that's coming. Yeah. So let's let's back up for a second. So, um, so I guess what did you what did you study in university? What was your first job while you were studying or after university? Uh, I studied economics, so business and computer science. So I graduated from two faculties in Ljubljana. I took my time finding out what's really interesting to me. Uh, I, my first, one of, well, one of my first jobs was working for IBM for as tech support for OS2. This was still while I was a student in 93 and 94. Then I started working for Microsoft. Uh, in the late 90s, I, with a couple of friends, we founded the company that did software development. We created a software suite on for publishers, which is, if you do something like that in a country that has five different five publishers, it turns out that your market size is not really that big. So we sold it to one, we custom built it based on their orders, but all of the other publishers already had their own custom built software. So we had a user base of one, but they're still using it. So this has been now 15 years since. So it's still the test of time. Yeah. Is that one of the like newspapers in town, or it's actually they're mostly focused on books and magazines, not a newspaper. Okay. So actually, yeah. um, and from then I was part of my first startup in two thousand and three with a guy called, called Christian Pechanac, who was the first person to actually get foreign venture funding from Slovenia, a big thing in two thousand and one. The startup, as most do, failed, but it taught me a lot. Then. Typically, then the kind of bouncing started. So from a startup, I went to work for the largest mobile operator in Slovenia, and then I went back into startups. I created my own company that tried to be a startup. It tried to 
determine or discover the profiles of people based on their habits and the content that they post, which was a great idea that then Facebook stole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It turned into a consultancy. uh, And then before my previous startup, I worked for a company that is actually just next door as head of innovation. And the startup sourcing that we started was actually part of the innovation initiative from that company that they remained like a part owner, but created a startup team around me to try and develop this idea further. And so that takes you into going into London. That uh, took me to London, uh, where I again learned a lot while making very little money or raising very little, but it was all in all a great experience, especially because it also connected me to David Price, one of our other advisors who created the accelerator that accepted us. So he is really kind of knowledgeable and experienced, not only in working with startups, which is, of course, quite useful for co-founding now, but because his experience also stretches for decades, he was part of several companies that went through the hyper-growth phases, like co-founding is now, where we grew from five on the day that our crowd sale ended to 25 plus today with the goals to take it to 40 or 50 by the end of the year. Yeah, it's amazing how much is out there about deal mechanics. Um, and of course, now this is a different world in blockchain. But um, so when I, when I graduated from undergrad, I wanted to learn about VC. Like, it sounded interesting to me. I was into technology and, and, and starting things and, um, and finance. And like, literally, there was no book you could buy. There was nothing on the web that said anything about about technology's startup financing um, until really it was like, I think it was Fred Wilson's blog. And it's just like, the, it's crazy. I mean, like the, um, the the decentralization of information started like in that industry with, with blogs almost. And of course now we're now having some decentralization of, of you know, just disintermediation of capital with, um, with, with co-founded and, and token sales. Um, I wanted to ask you, how do you, how do you see token sales evolving in this space? Hmm. I think that what we are witnessing is extremely rapid experimentation. The token fundraising space is basically rebuilding the way that fundraising should work from first principles. We are seeing decades of evolution roll in front of our eyes in a matter of months. I think that we will end up in, in a place that will be functionally similar to where VCs are now, so that we will be able to identify startups at different levels of maturity. We will be able to more accurately evaluate their value, their potential, so their valuation. Um, because right now, I don't think we can, right? Right now, a good white paper that is signed by the correct person or a couple of correct people, a team with like that can raise millions and millions, right? It, right now, it's still, I think, often removed from reality. But we see that co-founded is built for a rational world, a world where supporters of blockchain startups rationally evaluate whether the team has a chance of success, not a certainty, right? 90% of all startups fail, but a chance of success of achieving their vision because the thinking for the VCs is that you have limited downside, so you can lose how, however much you put in, but the upside is unlimited. So I think that, and I totally believe in that, and I think that we will see some of the rationality come into this space, but for this to occur, we'll have to start seeing some failures, right? Some of the blockchain startups will have to fail. In a world where every token sale raises tens of millions, in a world where every token goes to three or five X in a matter of months, there is no need for rational players. But this is a world that cannot last. So, I mean, it sounds like you think that we will see some evolution towards multiple rounds rather than like one one shot financing like we sort of see now. Can... De- do you see that evolving, that evolution needing a crash? Or is there some other way that we evolve towards that? I think this is already happening. So 
the crowd sales that you see that give large bonuses to larger investors who come in sooner, that's actually two rounds at different valuations, right? And as in the VC space where you have, if you have a big name investor leading the Series A, that that makes it more attractive for other investors for Series B, this is the same principle. So we are already seeing it. I think that this in itself is not connected to a crash or a boom. This is just normal evolution. Will we will we see people raising like pre-sale rounds um, publicly that that are you know a year away from their their bigger sale? Or do you think we'll see in the next year people doing like four stages or four rounds over? Or announcing that they're planning on multiple rounds? You think that that's a little too far in the future still? We will very soon see projects that explicitly want to have a smaller round and then a larger round. Uh, we might soon see it from co-founders because we see that this is necessary. So it's the, the 500 to one and a half million space is definitely coming. Now the question is what about the 50 to 200 million, right? The series C or D. I think that in order for that to evolve, we will either need to really a larger user base of supporters, or we will need to see traditional VCs starting to play in the blockchain space. We are already seeing it. What remains to be seen is how important will they be? Will the support will the amount that supporters can fund be enough for the further on stages as well i think that they will be eventually i think that most of the vcs that are now looking into token crowd sales that want to apply the exact same logic principles and processes that they're using with startups if they want to apply them to the token crowd sales space it will fail Right, but we also see some smart VCs, and I think that the role of the VC will evolve as well. This might be an off-the-wall question, but I'm actually just as as you talk, I'm thinking. You know, one of the big problems that VCs have is that, frankly, like none of them have much conviction. Right, like (laughs) they all wait until one of them says yes and leads the round, and then, like, based on that person saying yes, then everybody else jumps in. so as somebody who's advocated for, you know, not for fair token sales and not having uh, all these like sort of private um, pre-sales that give crazy discounts right right before the public sale, um, I actually, for the first time, it actually makes sense to me a little bit that you would have somebody that does have conviction and puts money in at a little bit of a discount um, because... Um, in some ways, I think humans are just that way, even whether it's VCs or, or people in a token sale, they like to see somebody that puts money in with conviction. Do you think that's crazy? Do you think that that'll, that'll become a little bit of a thing, like a 5% or a 10%? Um, or more or less. So I think you are very right about the way that VCs kind of decide, right? They, are, they flock together. Right. If enough of the um, the birds go to the left, the lone bird will go to the left as well. And what we're seeing now is that they are, instead of relying on what the other VCs say, they are also starting to rely on what the supporters say. Right. If a project can get a couple of thousand supporters that fund it by X million, then if I was a smart VC, I would be thinking hard about, hmm, should I put a couple of more money into that startup because they have proven that they can persuade a couple of thousand supporters, which is, it is not easy, right? The Kevin Kelly, as he reminded me yesterday, spoke about a thousand true fans. This is what every successful, every blockchain startup that had a successful crowd sale, it comes built in with this. So I think that what we're seeing now is that finally there is also democratization of validation. Right? It's not just about, because it's really hard to get a market to validate a startup at a very early stage. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time, a lot of iteration, experimentation in order to get some true market traction. But we are now seeing that the 
blockchain startups that can prove, that can front load the persuasion that otherwise they would have to do a couple of years in, that can show that they can execute on that, is, I think, really interesting and a very important factor for the VCs to start, to start thinking about. And that's that's actually a, a, a key part of your process with, with co-founder, right? With the sales that you agree to do. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? About the process or the... Well, yeah, about how you make um, the projects that, that, that raise with co-founder, how, how you, you know, what you ask them to do in terms of um, sort of building communities. Mm. So the core value proposition or the core idea, the core foundation for co-founded is this. If the role of the VC is used to combine their funds with their skills, expertise, network, right? The so-called smart money. What happens when you have an external source of funds that is not one VC company that was funded by five rich people, but thousands of supporters worldwide? And so, in effect, what's happened is that the role of the VC is becoming unbundled. So, what happens now? That means that you can have a company, a service that is focusing on the added knowledge, on the smart in smart money. So, this is the core idea behind CoFounded, where we work with startups and do our hardest to provide them with the kind of advice, guidance that they need. So typically, I'll walk you through a typical process. So what happens is that most of the projects that get in touch with us say, hey, yeah, we have it all figured out, but we need a bit of help with legal and we need a bit of help with marketing and PR. But everything else, we are all set. So then we say, okay, so tell us about the legal. Uh huh. Okay. You can't see it, but I'm laughing right now. Yeah, he's laughing. <laughs> uh, so we say, okay, tell us about your token. And they start scratching their heads. Yeah, so it's going to be a value return, perhaps dividends. And as soon as we start kind of really digging, it turns out that for a lot of these projects, it can be really helpful if they have an outside observer who can challenge their core assumptions and help them dig deeper and come up with a bigger story. So, for example, today in an hour, the crowd sale for a project called Digital Assets Powerplay is starting. We actually started working with them late last year, and their initial product was a trading algorithm that made money by using arbitrage differences between different exchanges. So they raised a fund for the traditional VCs that they used for development. They developed quite a smart system. They developed interfaces to the exchanges and then they had a machine that made X percent month over month. So quite a nice business. And they were thinking that they could use the uh, token crowd sale as a way to increase the amount of funds they were working with. After we started working with them um, over weeks, what actually crystallized is what they're doing now. So they, together, we saw that the product, the service they have built is actually two products. There is the platform that connects to the exchanges, that executes the trading strategies, and then there is the actual trading strategy that uses the platform. So their service now is what they're working on is a platform that you can deploy your own trading strategies like trading AIs. Either you can actually write code, you can use the UI editor to create it and that they will take over the connections to the exchanges for you. They will execute the trades, they they will tell you how you're doing and they will also provide leverage to the best strategies. So this is an example of how we went from something that was not bad, but during kind of our discussions, workshops, digging deeper, we found out that there is a bigger service behind this. So this is typically what did we do in the beginning of the process, clarify. Now, some projects come with, work with us and they pass this stage with no changes because they actually already see the big picture. Next stage is the more coaching on specifically on communications. For us, we believe that community is extremely important. The point of crowd sales, not just talking crowd sales, is can you persuade thousands of people to feel a personal connection to your service? In the case where the service doesn't exist, the personal connection is to the team, right? So it's about 
not one to many. It's not about having an article about you published in a big, big name newspaper. What's important is that even if that happens and then the people come and seek you out, can you establish relationships with them? Can you develop trust? So for us, it's all about the community, right? So this is the next step. And the point of co-founded is that we are also building our own community who come to us because they have learned to trust our selections and who are willing to trust our methods to meet new interesting projects. And then some of them also become part of their community. But it's all, our process kind of based on introducing them to our community and then helping them build their own community that will then, after the crowd sale, allow them to execute quickly. Um, so this is the second part of the process. The third part is what we are in right now with Digital Asset PowerPlay. That is the final sprint towards the actual crowd sale date where we deal with mechanics like smart contracts. We use Ethereum for it. During every crowd sale, we are reminded that Ethereum, while amazing and excellent and thank you Vitalik, but it's still very much an alpha product, right? Um, so we wait with bated breath. Are the transactions going to go through? We are looking at the number of waiting transactions. Come on, come on. Oh, look, here is one for 500 eaters. Will it go through? Yes, it went through. So it's always fun. So... Um, the, the co-founded token uh, is arguably, in fact, I don't even think arguably, I'd say it's the token with the most utility, like current utility in the network in this space through Priority Pass, which essentially um, allows for the wide distribution um, and fair distribution of, of tokens in, in the token sale um, so that projects don't get, um, you know, all the tokens aren't controlled by a few few number of people. Uh, how do you how do you see priority pass? Um, well, I guess you can describe it for our listeners how do you, today and and as well how you see it evolving into the future. That's a great question. That I don't know the specific answer to, but perhaps we can brainstorm a bit. But first, some information or background. So the priority pass started with our crowd sale or started a couple of weeks before our crowd sale. We had a number of people or companies approach us and say that they're really interested in supporting us, in sending funds to our crowd sale, but they were worried that it will run out before they get their turn. So we said, well, no problem. We will add you to the list, so we'll be able to do it. But then we realized that this is not just a problem for a couple of isolated people or companies, that this is a general problem. And the problem is this. If you have a base of extra engaged supporters, wouldn't you want to help all of them to participate in your crowd sale? So that was the aha moment uh, when we changed, we kind of turned the our logic upside down and said this is the whitelisting mechanism. is not a way for us to whitelist a couple of our friends. The whitelisting mechanism is the core mechanism that will allow us to find the supporters that are most engaged in our project. So this is how it started. Um, and so now the idea is that if you own more than a small amount of co-founded tokens, I think that 5,000 is, uh, is the minimum, what you get is you can send funds to the crowd sale early. And we have a couple of phases on phase one, which lasts a day, which is starting in an hour, individual contributions are limited. So the goal of this phase is to get a wide distribution of supporters, precisely because of what you said, right? We believe that a healthy distribution is key. So you can get funds from one person. Yes, you can, absolutely. But what you don't get is the boost that thousands of supporters give you. So this is the goal of the phase one. And uh, phase two is the second day of the pre-sale where contributions are unlimited. So we like to say that um, this is when the big marine mammals can come and swim, right, in their own <laughs> sea and their own pond. So on the day two is when the the qu quick closing can happen. The day two is when you see how many blocks will it take, right? So for sentiment, it took three blocks, for example. And the way we see it evolving is that we see it more and more as a mechanism to help us identify the most engaged supporters. And that, that engagement is, of course, not only 
qualified by the number of our tokens they hold. It can also be defined by how loyal they are at sending funds to different co-founded crowd cells. How long do they hold co-founded tokens? How long will they hold the project tokens? So are there are they more uh, traders who are interested in a quick flip? Which there is nothing wrong with that, but in terms of quality for a specific blockchain startup. I think that it's better to have a mix of also those who are thinking more long-term, right? Who see this as a long-term investment in a relationship with the project. Because if I have a trading mentality, I purchase a token. For, for example, I'll give an example, 0x, right? I make it a habit to look at the projects with interesting crowd sale mechanisms, right? So I went through the 0x mechanism to see how it works. They were using Civic, I think, right? Yep. And as a consequence, I also got an allowance for six Ether or how many it was for everybody. So I sent the Ether, I got back the tokens, the token price increased immediately, I sold the tokens, I made a healthy profit, but that was it as far as my personal attachment towards the 0x project goes. But I like them, but I just don't have the time for them, right? So I think that you must get a healthy mix of both of these kinds of project, uh, kinds of supporters. The ones that are in more of a short term, but also the ones that can see the long term vision. So the goal of the priority pass is to start evolving and identifying the supporters that are in it long term, but on the other hand, not limiting also the supporters that want to make a profit because everybody wants to make a profit at the end of the day. So vision is amazing. Changing the world is amazing. We will do this, but we should also perhaps reap the benefits of what we're doing and what we're supporting. I wanted to transition a little bit and talk about um, Slovenia and, and as a blockchain hub. Um, I've seen, you know, there the the government seems supportive of of becoming a sort of crypto hub here in, in, in I won't say the name because I won't get it to say, say it as well the second time. Lub, okay, I will. Lub, Lubdiana. Um, Close enough. Yeah, Very right. Good. I think that was worse. Uh, how? Tell us. Tell us about that. So there are small countries have challenges. Small countries with not a lot of uh, capitalist or entrepreneurial tradition face even bigger challenges, and. So there are two kind of factors here. One is that every once in a while, a big technological revolution wave comes and changes everything, right? So internet was one such wave, smartphones was another. For both of these, if you were from Europe, you, by definition, you could not really be part of it. It was the US companies that wrapped the rewards because of the startup ecosystem there because they had the best support for entrepreneurs doing this kind of stuff which meant that their companies could grow fastest therefore they won right and but the blockchain the global nature of this allows teams from small companies to compete on an equal footing which is that's why i have a personal theory that actually teams from countries that were left back in the regular kind of startup space are especially motivated to use this this kind of technique. That's why you see a lot of teams that are coming from the Eastern Europe, from Asia, from everywhere. I think that if you look at the number of teams per square mile, Bay Area is towards the end of the line, right? Because if you have 10 VCs living in a one block radius from where a company is, it's much easier, right, to raise money from VCs. But if you live in Ljubljana were the biggest exit. So Slovenia just had our first exit for a tech company for 25 or 30 million. So, and this was a big news in Slovenia, right? So for a, com- for a country like that and for teams from a country like that, this makes a lot of sense. So Slovenia is, I think, on the governmental level realizing that this is an opportunity because what's happening right now is, of course, there is the race to regulation from everybody and everybody knows that regulation should come but with the goal to bring clarity to bring some protection but not to stifle innovation and what's going on is that now all of the jurisdictions in the world are kind of competing against each other which one will come to a sensible regulatory environment sooner 
and we are in touch with the government of Slovenia, with the National Bank, with the SEC equivalent, with the Anti-Money Laundering Commission here, and I think that everybody is quite receptive. So we are moving quickly towards the point in time where you will be able to do a crowd sale, a token crowd sale in Slovenia in a very understood environment that will then enable you. So it turns out that it's actually not that difficult. It's difficult to have a successful crowd sale, but it's even more difficult when you have to transition from the crowd sale into actual operations. So what happens? For example, co-founded. We are we have our overgrown our offices again we want to uh, hire uh, to rent larger offices and they almost don't want to give them to us because they say that where's how come you got the money if you look at if you look at the stats for this company for the previous year you got like fifty thousand dollars in revenue now you want to rent this large space so uh, bring us a company that will vouch for you or when you try to open a bank account, the banks will say, yeah, yeah of course, we'll open the bank account. Say, uh, where are you based? Offshore? Where did you get the money from? Crypto? Criminal? Criminal! <laughs> right? So it's not just about the crowd sale. It's about all the other parts of a functioning environment, of the functioning economy that must grow and the, and learn to work with companies like like ours and this is a process that will take a while we hope that slovenia is small enough and possibly agile enough so that we can do it quickly fingers crossed yeah this this city is a beautiful green place and and very charming um despite the current weather <laughs> well that's why it's green right mm. <laughs> um i guess tell me Tell me what you what what do you do for fun here? What does one do for fun, or what do I do for fun? So Slovenians are. I, I will illustrate. So in Slovenia, every village that has more than five houses has at least one bar, right? Uh, if you walk down the streets, not just in the city center, but everywhere, you will see that everywhere that they serve coffee, they are constantly full, even during the workday. So and it's the coffee is amazing and it's like a euro. <laughs> it's crazy. But no free refills. Yeah. Fair. So Slovenians are people that like uh, taking it easy, chilling, of course, all the while bitching how difficult we have it. Oh, my job sucks. So we as a as a nation we kind of combine the uh, laid back Mediterranean approach with the uptight, annoyed, more northern approach into <laughs> one interesting hole that can sometimes be uh, hard to <laughs> figure out. So this is what Slovenians do. Me personally, I love taking walks. Uh, I drive a motorcycle, although this summer there was no time for this because it was all co-founded all the time. And I love reading. What what uh, what what are your favorite books? I am a big fan of science fiction and fantasy. So in fantasy, my favorite series is the Discord series by Terry Pratchett. Uh, in science fiction, I'm a fan of more of classics like uh, Larry Niven or uh, Heinlein. And for business books, uh, my current favorite is The Everything Store about the Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And I'm now reading Work Rules by the person who's in charge in Google's HR because as we grow from 25 to more, it becomes increasingly important for a company to have structured processes on how to evaluate people who apply, how to decide who to work with, how to define and promote company culture, how to promote people, stuff like that. So this is what I'm focused on at the moment. I've, I've been impressed by the talent on the team so far as I've been here. And unfortunately, everyone's English is... is much better than my Slovene. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple of visits. Yeah, right. Um, what? Um, I, this is a beautiful place. What is the? What are the main tourist attractions here? <laughs> it's like Ljubljana in your pocket. So Ljubljana, Ljubljana or Slovenia as a whole? The city. So 
the great part of Ljubljana is that in two hours you've seen most of the tourist stuff and for Slovenia it's in two days. So for Ljubljana you must visit the castle, in the, it's a medieval castle in the middle of Ljubljana and the old part of the city, which I think around the river you've been there yeah. for a bit. Yeah. And for Slovenia we have a couple of um, nice landmarks like Lake Bled with the only Slovenian island. Slovenia has one island and it's in a lake called Lake Bled. And it's a nice kind of an alpine valley with picturesque mountains around it. There is a little church on the little island, so that's typically what uh, every visitor to Slovenia goes and wants to see. And of course we have both the Adriatic, which is part of the Mediterranean, and the Alps. So you can, if you go live in Ljubljana, it takes you one hour to come to a ski slope or come to a beach. So it's pretty cool. I like it here. Well, I think I think that's about all I have. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Should they follow you on on Twitter? Um, so before thank you for the opportunity to plug and I will but I just want to say thank you Evan for your amazing work on the Ethereum ecosystem on the week in Ethereum which should be mandatory reading for everybody who's interested in this space weekinethereum.com yes weekinethereum.com <laughs> and for us um, if you visit cofound.it you will get links to our telegram a group where you can chat with the team or if you're a priority pass member there is also a closed slack just for in-depth strategy discussions about the future of co-founded and should they follow you on twitter you can follow me on twitter it's i-y-a-n so ian which is funny story it turns out that ian it's my old irc handle but it turns out that it's actually a malaysian name so Twitter mentions are useless for me because every time I open the Twitter mention page, I have a bunch of stuff in Malaysian addressed to other people that are just not using that handle. So I am a very, and I must say that although I'm an early Twitter user, I never really got into Twitter. But yeah, of course, please feel free to follow me. Every once in a while, I try to tweet something interesting. It's funny we got to that. I actually meant to ask you how that had become your handle. Now and now I know. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here, Jan, and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thank you all. Bye-bye.